FatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the VatCast podcast network. Another show, another Oregon State football victory. The Road Beavers, the Road Warrior Beavers, I should say, did it again last weekend, taking down Arizona 56-38 in a high-scoring affair in the desert. It's Oregon State's third straight Pac-12 win away from Research Stadium, the first time the Beavers have done that since 2013. Honestly, I am just stupefied by the progress this program has made under Jonathan Smith. The Beavers were essentially not competitive in eight games last year and have only had that happen once in all of 2019. They've surrounded that disappointing performance at home against Utah with three road wins over UCLA, Cal, and now Arizona. There is legitimate bull talk in Corvallis with back-to-back upcoming home games against Washington and Arizona State. It, it truly is something else. Uh, today's guest is a friend of the program, Brendan Slaughter of BeaversEdge.com. We had a great conversation about the Arizona game, Oregon State's bull chances, and also the outlook for the OC Benz basketball team as their season is set to begin Tuesday night. Uh, one quick note, the audio for the first third or so of my conversation with Brendan is a bit choppy at times. I, I don't think we ended up having the best connection. It is still uh, totally listenable, but it is not perfect, and I do apologize for that. Technology can be fun sometimes. Anyway, uh, it was a great weekend to be a beaver, and let's go ahead and get right to my conversation with Brendan. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, Slaughter, I, I was certainly uh, fired up for last weekend's Arizona game, and I, I'd say for a multitude of reasons. You know, I, I thought it was a, an interesting matchup on paper. It seemed like you know, a good opportunity for the, the Beavers to put up some points, and I really felt like it was going to be kind of a, an important statement for the program because you know we've seen OSU play well at times this year, and even dating back to last year under Jonathan Smith, but, you know, game to game consistency has still certain or had still certainly been lacking. And, you know, when, when the Beavers won that big road game at UCLA, they followed it up with a, a lackluster performance at home against Utah. And then, you know, the bounce back the following week beat Cal when a lot of people, I'd say, including myself, were sort of wondering kind of what the direction of the program was at that point. So I think for you, I guess, entering the Arizona game, what, what were you honestly expecting to see from OSU? Because, you know, this was a game where nearly any outcome, I don't think any outcome would have surprised me down, down in the desert. Yeah, you know, uh, I think you hit the nail right on the button there, Bob, in a lot of ways. And, you know, the way I looked at that Arizona game is I saw there were two paths. There was a part of me that thought, okay, this Oregon State team, they beat Cal. If they were to win this Arizona game, maybe the inconsistencies of the past are kind of starting to be in the past and this team is ready to take that step forward. Not saying they didn't against Cal, but if you, you know, winning that other game against Arizona, that's a streak now. That's, a, you know, that's impressive for a team that hadn't been able to string multiple wins together. Uh, and then the other part of it was, you know, I was curious how they would be coming off a of bye week. Um, but now with the way they played against Arizona, again, far from perfect by any means, but that leads me to believe that, you know, we talked, you talked about the lackluster performance against Utah. I think Utah is just that good. And Oregon state kind of had, like they said, some weaknesses exposed. And I think you just kind of look at that game as an outlier now. 
No, I think it's fair to say that that could be an outlier. Utah, it, Utah might be the best team in the entire conference, if not the best team. Certainly, Utah and Oregon are the two best teams. And, you know, the Beavers just kind of got behind early in that game and things got away from them. And with the type of team Oregon State is, I'm not sure they're, they're built necessarily equipped, even though the offense is very strong. I'm not necessarily sure they're equipped to erase deficits like that because it's just tough on the defense. And, yeah, it was just one of those – one of those days, but you know, I just considering what we did see from Oregon State against Cal, I just I wasn't sure if they were going to kind of be able to put together back to back impressive performances, but but they did, and I just I think how could you be anything other than encouraged from what we've seen from this team the last two weeks? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, simply put, I mean, the momentum and you know, wave of confidence is that you know, arguably, uh, you know, I mean, wins. Know, to be 500 at this point in November, um, at this point in the season, you have to go back to 2013. So you're talking back to Mike Riley era. For this much success and this much, you know, optimism in terms of sheer wins and losses at this point in the season. So, you know, that's select company based on how difficult it's been, you know, you know five or six days. So, yeah, I'm, in terms of, you know, talking for bowl game, I even saw there was a projection out there that somebody, out there projecting Oregon State to win two games and has them making the whole game at six wins. So that talk, just like just to see it kind of come to fruition, is really a culmination of what Jonathan Smith has done for this program. And, you know, um, what he, if, depending on how the year finishes, uh, his coaching job this year, nothing short of impressive so far. I mean, that first half uh, down at Arizona, that, that was the best offensive performance. I've seen from an Oregon State team, you know, I, I would say probably since the days of Sean Manny and Brandon Cooks and company. I mean, the oh, Wildcats, I mean, the Wildcats, yeah, I mean, the Wildcats, I mean, they just look completely helpless as the Beavers, you know, did whatever they want, three, whatever they wanted, 385 yards of total offense, 35 points. I mean, that was just that, that first half of offense. That was just a thing of beauty to watch, wasn't it? Oh, really? wasn't watching. You know how they how they dissected the Arizona defense. I, I do look at those numbers with a you know a grain of salt and the caveat. Arizona's was I believe 100 and, 109th or 112th in total defense coming in that game. Their secondary play was just as bad, 117th I believe out of 125 or whatever it was. So Oregon State executed against a very poor defense statistically. So you know I I kind of look at those numbers and I go they did what they were supposed to do kind of a thing, but. For a team that's young and learning how to win, you know, sometimes even doing what you're supposed to do doesn't always happen. So, actually, again, the proof in the pudding, so to speak, that, you know, Oregon State now can, you know, build. They can not play their best game and still win, you know, by a sizable margin on the road in the Pac-12. I mean, not long ago, that was that was a far cry for a team that had lost some 20 straight road games. at one So, you know, you said nothing but optimism for this program right now. Yeah, I mean, it, like, like you said, Arizona, not the, the best defense in the Pac-12. We all know that. I mean, the Wildcats also had a brand-new defensive coordinator after firing Marcel Yates. But, I mean, still, you just have to look at Art Pierce, Jamar Jefferson, both going over 100 yards on, on the ground. The offensive line was absolutely terrific, I, I felt, in all phases. I mean, Jake Luton was efficient, throwing for 328 yards, three touchdowns, no picks again. Isaiah Hodgins catching seven passes for 150 yards and a couple scores. We saw Noah Togi, I have a few big catches. I mean, 
it really was just a true overall team effort from the offense. I mean, anytime you put up 56 points on the road or anytime in Pac-12 play, it's cer- certainly a good day. And that, that was, it was just, it was quite the performance for the Beaver offense. There's really no other way to put it, I don't think. At the same token, though, how much is it maybe just the fact that things are just, you know, crumbling around Kevin Sumlin? I mean, not to play devil's advocate, but you kind of look at who Oregon, like, um, you know, it's kind of twofold, right? Because optimism, things are looking up, right? Oregon State's two wins away from a potential bull burst. I mean, that is, coming into the season, if you told Oregon State fans you're four and four mid, you know, early November, they would have taken that. And at the same token, you look back, UCLA, Oregon State caught them without Dorian Thompson-Robinson. If they had DDR, I think that game would have been significantly different. Cal has been, you know arguably the worst team offensively in the conference since Chase Garbers has gone down. And, you know, Oregon State, for their credit, they played well against Cal's defense and scored, you know, 21 points. But then you go even to Arizona, who, you know, again, someone's firing two staff members in the middle of the year just because the defense is so bad. And they, you know, don't make any significant improvements against Oregon State. So that's why I kind of circled this UW game. This will be the real test to kind of see where this improvement has been because, Washington's not the same level as Utah as we saw this last week, I don't believe. But Oregon State, this is a, a team that I think they can really measure this newfound success against, if that makes sense. That's a terrific point. Hold that for a second. We'll come back to the Washington game later because there's certainly you, you, you are certainly correct. This is going to be a massive game for the team to actually see how far the Beavers have come. But, but before we did jump to that, I did want to just comment a little bit on the Oregon State defense because while it certainly wasn't in you know a perfect performance by those guys, we really did see a couple of the Oregon State linebackers sh- uh, shine again. You know, Hamaker Rashid, he's been doing it all year. He had three more sacks. We've talked about him a lot, and but but you know down at Arizona, we saw true freshman Omar Spades. He led the team in tackles with ten. He was actually just named Pac-12 Freshman of the Week on Monday. You know, the, the defense as a whole, we're still seeing them give up yards, and there were certainly some tackling issues at time in Arizona, may, maybe one of the worst tackling performances outside of the Utah game of the year. But we're also seeing the defense generate some big plays, and they clearly are, like, on the right track overall uh, under, you know, defensive court Tim Tebassar. And I, I think it is good to see that while maybe, you know, from a yards-per-play perspective and a points perspective, the Beavers have a long way to go, they are generating those, you know, critical tackles for loss. And, and they are forcing a couple turnovers. And that, that I think, is big for this Oregon State defense at this point. No, and I think you hit right on, the, right on the button again. Just, you know, you get how Oregon State, you know, after last year, Bob, you know, we talked about, you know, seeing improvement, right? You, the defense couldn't really get much worse from last year, statistically. There just – there wasn't really – there was nowhere to go really but up for Oregon State. But it was hard to quantify exactly what that was going to look like, right? They had some new pieces. They had some improved depth still by far not where it needs to be but you're like okay they have some new pieces some new players how much better is it going to look now that you've actually started to see when they've you know they still don't have the depth they truly need and you know they could be even better if they didn't have a couple guys that have been you know on the shelf with season-ending injuries or quite long ones but um, when you get right down to it the defense is doing enough to be able to keep the team competitive and as an Oregon State fan knowing what was inherited when Jonathan Smith got here, I think that's the best case scenario. You know, Tim Tibisar, they addressed the glaring holes from a year ago. They made themselves so they could at least keep themselves competitive. And I think it's just going to be a constant build. I mean, they got great defenders coming in. 
uh, and the future recruiting classes. They're looking at, you know, solid guys as well. And um, I think that side of the ball is just, um, you know, you kind of look back and I think the team was just talent devoid compared to the offense. I think when Brian came, you know, the previous staff looked a lot more offensive. It's going to be a, an ebb and a flow thing until, you know, Tosar can get guys in and get, you know, these young guys, Omar Spades, Jojo Forrest, Achille Arnold, you know, uh, all of these new faces on the defense acclimated in, you know, in a year or two, uh, this defense could be pretty good. You know, Isaiah Hodges has certainly gotten some buzz for the Blitnikoff over the year or over this year for good reason. But, you know, I, I think Ham is starting to mount a pretty good case for Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, his 12 sacks lead the conference, um, and he's also tied for second in the nation in sacks. And we're seeing Ham's uh, leading the country in tackles for loss with 17.5. It, it seems unlikely that, you know, Ham or a player like that could could actually win the award because OSU, you know, isn't that strong defensively a, as a whole. I would say that awards are probably going to come from one of the better defensive teams. But Ham is truly having a special junior season for the Beavers, and at this point, he has to at least be in the conversation for Pac-12 Player of the Year, don't you think? No, I definitely think he he'll be in the conversation. Um, <clears throat> I'm a little biased because I, you know, I, I watched uh, when Utah came to um, Corvallis. I got to see him live. I might be butchering his last name, Leaky Futu, I believe is his name. Defensive mm-hmm. line, just a stud. And I, I mean, the way he had an ability to. Watching him go through Blake Brandle and Gus Lavaca, Oregon State's best offensive linemen and guys that I believe to be talent with ease and just you know almost single hand blowing up Oregon's offensive line for four quarters, uh, that guy is the best defensive player in the conference in my opinion. But you're right, Hamaka Rashid. I mean, the improvement he's made is nothing short of astronomical. I mean, to go to the leading the Pac-12 in sacks, that's just something you need for Oregon State. And if you take him off this defense, this Oregon State defense is probably like the defense from a year ago. So his value and talent to the team cannot be underestimated. And he's a special player. You know, he's, uh, you know, a real hybrid guy. He fits what Tim Tibisar does super well. And, you know, Tim Tibisar's had a, a really strong history of putting outside linebackers in the NFL. And, you know, if Rashad keeps it up, there's no reason to think he can't be the next one. So the, the team is sitting at 4-4 four and four overall now with four games to play. And Friday, I would say, all of a sudden has, has become the biggest game of the Jonathan Smith era. I mean, it's it's going to be cold at Reese Stadium. Washington is coming off a tough loss against Utah. Is in the middle of what I would say has been a, a relatively disappointing season for the Huskies. I guess what 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 do in your in your opinion what what do the Beavers need to do to have a shot to steal a win in this one? I mean, the Huskies are still favored by I think eleven points. Uh, so the you know the the odds makers in the desert think the Huskies are are definitely the right side here and Oregon State well you know we've seen a lot from them from an offensive perspective I think there's reasons to think the Huskers are going to be able to move the ball against the Beavers uh, what, I guess like I said what, what do you think Oregon State needs to do to have a good showing and maybe uh, snake out a win on Friday well you know it's it's interesting you know if you just kind of going you know you kind of meant just like the, the 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 source of like where you know all this intensity is coming kind of all these vortexes coming together and I just think it's really a coincidence, not even a coincidence, but just a really ironic one that, you know, here's Oregon State with all this momentum and they've kind of maybe turned a corner. And who's standing in Jonathan Smith's way? His former <laughs> mentor, 
his former mentor and the school that groomed him to be, you know, the head coach that he is now in a school that, you know, if you've paid attention, you know, this year and last misses him as an offensive presence. Um, And, you know, um, maybe, you know, one day down the line, Oregon State fans will, you know, realize they, they, they stole somebody good from that regime. But, you know, um, as a reporter and a writer, you live for matchups like this. Coach, mentor, it's like, you know, it's almost like a Chris Peterson's like the Bill Belichick and Jonathan Smith is like the Josh McDaniels. I mean, it's like, you know, the protege. And I think there's going to be a lot of um, intensity in Research Stadium. You know, uh, I was last year in 2018, I was when Jonathan took the team up to Seattle late in the year, I was really impressed. Oregon State wasn't super competitive last year, but they played Washington tougher than I expected them to. And I that kind of told me that Jonathan's always going to have his team a little extra ready for Washington. And it might not be this year that he's able to get that win. I think it's coming. Um, again, Pac-12 after dark, you know, Friday night, uh, 7.30, national televised game. Oregon State's done enough to be able to, you think, get fans in Research Stadium. But, Bob, as you know, 7.30 on a Friday night in Corvallis, you're, you're not asking for big attendance. No, I mean, getting backed by a good crowd would help the Beavers oh, out huge. so much. Huge. But sadly, I mean, I just, I'm just I mean, not sure I, how. You and I know the market. I mean, you look at it and, I mean, not to botch numbers, but you have to think at least 50 or 60% of Oregon State's fan base is outside of the Corvallis market. Oh, more, more that, that go to games. Yeah. And yeah, I, you know, I believe it to be more in the 70s, but you know, with what it is, you know, asking that many people, even though your team's got momentum and it's, you know, short in progress, to come down on a Friday night, not even a Saturday, but Friday, which makes everything so complicated, um, for a game that you said could be cold, that's a tough sell for someone who might just want to watch it on TV. But there's that, therein lies the difference of what could be a winner or a loss, depending on what kind of atmosphere they get. Yeah, I, I don't always love all the critiques of night games out there because it's just a fact of life that out west, the Pac-12, for eyeballs, for a variety of reasons. I mean, there's there's a national TV window at night. Somebody has to play these night games. ESPN is paying money. I don't think that overall, I think it's okay that some of these games are at night throughout the year. But the problem is is when you factor in, in my opinion, the Friday on top of it. Because not only do, uh, I would say, the overall majority of Oregon State fans not live within, you know, 30 minutes or so of Research Stadium, it's going to be really cold in November. I think if you're playing a night game on a Saturday in early September, that's a big difference than it is this time of year. And then also, the Friday thing has always bothered me because – that it prevents people or, or forces people to pick between either high school football or college football. I've never liked the fact that college football happens throughout the year on Friday nights. I think that Friday nights should be reserved for high school football because, I mean, it's going to be the opening week of the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of people that are interested in some of these high school football games. And I realize that maybe some of my audience is kind of rolling their eyes at this, but I do think it's a really important point. I mean, some of the fans either have – have kids that are playing in these high school games. Maybe they're just fans of certain high schools. Maybe they just want to check out some future Oregon State recruits. I really, really don't like seeing, especially this late in the season, I really don't like seeing college football games on Fridays. I know it will never change. I know it has to for because of television, but it's going to hurt the Oregon State crowd on Friday. I mean, the stadium is probably not going to be very full. There probably won't be a lot of energy in there, and it's a huge game. It really is sad, and I, I don't like to see it.
No, and I, I agree with you 100%. You know, um, obviously, um, you know, experiences, you know, um, there's been some pretty memorable, like, Thursday night games. I mean, obviously, you think back to, like, Oregon State upsetting USC when they were number one in the country back in 2008. That was a Thursday game, right? So it's weird in the sense of, like, it's been happening for a long time, right? But the point still stays the same, and that's, for me, is as I look at this, is Oregon State is a relatively a small market program right now. And that's just because they haven't had much success. And if you're an Oregon State fan, say you live in Portland with, you know, say a couple weeks ago when they played Utah was or any other team, what's really driving you to go down there right now? There's a bit more of a drive, you know, to push you to go down there because the team is getting better now. However, the problem I see with this is that for a small market team that relies on that fan base, you know, coming back in a very loyal way, um, you know, seven thirty, uh, seven thirty at night on a Friday night. You're basically ask, You're basically telling Bob anybody that works the nine to five in the Portland metro area. You're not going to make the game. I mean, yeah. you're asking people to take days off work. I mean, that's that's ludicrous. And you know, I mean, I, I would like to think optimistically that Oregon State will get a decent crowd. But knowing you know, it's a Friday. It's you know, um, you know, seven thirty. You know, I five is going to be packed up and down. I just I don't like the vibe around it. You know, even a Thursday would be better for traffic purposes. But Friday, it's it's going to be a mess getting down there. And, you know, to to that credit, I mean, I think Oregon State more so than even like an Oregon or a USC or whatever has to fight to keep themselves out of those terrible windows. And I think to an extent, Oregon State, Washington State, maybe some of the smaller schools, in the Pac-12 should you know, be given preference to not play those games because it's so hard to get their fan base to come that late at night. It's not quite as difficult to draw Oregon crowd 7.30 at night compared to like Washington State or Oregon State, if you get what I'm saying. No, I, I totally agree with you. And I think we could go on about this for a while, but uh, we have only have a little, we only have limited time today. So let's tra- let's transition quickly to a happier topic. And I'm sure what that <laughs> has been is on the Beavers Ed's message boards. How much talk has there been of bowl games at this point? Because I still think for me, the talks of that are a little premature when you're si- when you're sitting two wins away with some tough games on the schedule. I totally get all the excitement surrounding the program. And I think it's cool that it, you know, with the way the team's playing that it allows fans to maybe get a bit carried away with some projections and stuff, but how, how much bull talk have you have you seen on the forums? It feels to me like a lot of Oregon State fans genuinely do think a bull might be attainable at this point. I'd say it's early, but it's definitely there. You know, winning this last game, you know, getting to four and now knowing that you have four left and you only need to win two, of course everyone's going to think it's possible, regardless of, you know, who you have on the schedule, just because it's not theoretically and mathematically impossible yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if Oregon State had lost to Arizona and then they were, you know, three and five and they, you know, could only afford one more loss, I think you'd be seeing something differently. But now Oregon State's got two home games, two road games, and only needs to win two. I mean, again, not likely, but not impossible and not even potentially like that far of a stretch of the imagination, depending on how things break. So, you know, when I look at it, you know, bowl game talk still a little early. We'll see how they play you know, Friday. And I think, you know, that could be a huge indicator of where things are going, but just to have that talk again, that's, that's huge for this program. I, I completely agree. I think that, I, I think that it makes 
complete sense from a fan perspective. You have to let your mind run wild with some of the stuff, even if matchups with Washington and Oregon, even Washington State, don't necessarily seem that favorable on paper. I think with the way the offense has performed the last couple games, or really all year, that it's fair to actually think about it. And we're, you know, an Arizona State team is going to come into Research Stadium here in a couple weeks that hasn't played its best football recently. And I think there's reasons to believe that, that the Beavers can get that game. And if you can get the five wins, it's only takes one upset to get the six. So I understand it. And I do think it's very cool that we're talking about bowl games instead of potentially going winless in Pac 12 play. It's definitely a nice change of pace. Oh, I mean, 100%. I mean, you just go back to just a couple years ago. I mean, it's just when Jonathan Smith got here to think that a year and a half, you know, of in like football season, like, you know, one season and a half, you'd be, you know, 500 with four games left, knowing that you have a chance with, you know, only needing to win two to make a bowl game. Uh, you know, even after they lost to Hawaii, I mean, to tell or say, or even Utah to say, you know, after they got beat 52 to seven, to look at Oregon State fans or even Jonathan Smith and say, hey, you know, you guys got beat 52-7 by Utah, but here in three weeks, you'll be 4-4, four and four, four games left, you control your own destiny. Not bad. Quickly before I let you go, uh, let's finish with uh, some men's basketball talk. I, I've been saying really since Trace Tinkle announced he was coming back, that the Beavers were going to be an NCAA tournament team in 2020. Do you do you agree with that statement on what is on Monday, the the eve of the men's basketball season's officially starting? It'd be the biggest disappointment maybe of the athletic season if they don't, in my opinion. Um, this team, if they don't make the NCAA tournament, I think there's going to be a lot of disappointment. You know, you look at last year, mm-hmm. you thought they were maybe going to get over that hump, and yet, you know, they kind of still were working out the new pieces – um, I truly believe they have everything they need to contend for an NCAA tournament berth this year, and I think they will. Um, Kyler Kelly, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to see what he can do this year. Uh, seeing Peyton Dastrup finally be eligible. Uh, having Trace Tinker, I've been hearing some really good things on Sean Miller Moore, the JC transfer. Uh, Ethan Thompson, obviously, going to take over those point guard duties. You know, there's there's a lot of nice pieces. I want to see how they mesh, and you know, I don't like to put a lot of expectations before I you know see the team play some games, but. Yeah, I mean, an NCAA tournament berth should be the goal, and it would be a disappointment if they didn't make it this year. I mean, Trace Tinkle is absolutely, no matter, without a doubt, is a front runner to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. Definitely. We saw Ethan Thompson. Yeah, I mean, we saw Ethan Thompson make a big leap last year, and I think there's a real chance that he's going to be even better as a junior, develop into maybe like an 18 to, you know, 18. 18 points per game type of guy. And that's saying a lot with Trace going to be, you know, a big part of the offense. Kyler Kelly is, I think, one of the premier big men in the conference, a special defensive player. And there is, there, there's no doubt the depth, it, it could be an issue just because we have some unproven pieces to, that we're looking at there. We also don't necessarily know um, from like Alfred Hall and Zach Reichel, you're going to want to see some development. And there's, I think there's a good shot that the Beavers are going to be relying a lot on some, you know, newcomers, maybe like freshman guard Gerard Lucas, JC transfer Sean Miller more like like you already said earlier. But look, I just I think the Beavers have star power to really make a push for the Pac-12 title and get back to the NCAA tournament. I I agree with you. It would be a huge disappointment if they can't they need get to back stay to healthy. the dance. They need to stay healthy. They need to stay healthy. That's another big thing. Have to stay healthy. Absolutely. That's true, especially with the top heavy roster. Any injuries yep. to their main guys would be really, really hurtful. Brendan, glad to uh, glad to have you on again. You'll be at uh, will you be at Research Friday for that late night affair? 
Uh, yeah, still to be determined. Uh, I'm planning <laughs> on it for now, but it depends on how the weather is and all that. I'm, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes for sure, but I'm planning on it for now. Awesome. Well, that was Brendan Slaughter from beaversedge.com. Beaver Buzz podcast favorite at this point. Uh, we'll <laughs> say goodbye to Brendan, and uh, I'm going to pause for a quick break and be right back to wrap up the show. Thanks again to Brendan. From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. On the topic of men's basketball, I should probably mention that the Beavers open the 2019-2020 season Tuesday night at 8 p.m. against Cal State Northridge. The Beavers then host Iowa State Saturday night and will face Oklahoma and Portland the following Tuesday. I I really like the fact that Oregon State's non-conference schedule is stronger this year. It should help the Beavers, I think, prepare for Pac-12 play maybe a little better than they've been prepared in recent seasons. And it will also look good on the NCAA tournament resume. So it's a it's to me it's a really good sign that the Beavers are playing what what appears to be at least on paper a, a stronger non-conference schedule than typical. I am uh, recording this pod on Monday, uh, just a few hours before the OSU women's basketball team was set to play an exhibition against Team USA at Gill Coliseum. It really is super cool uh, for Team USA to play these exhibitions against uh, college teams. And and it's a great opportunity uh, for local fans in Oregon to come out and watch some of the top women's players uh, compete right up close in Gill Coliseum. You know, I I saw a lot of pics um, earlier today on social media with some of the some of the players, you know, particularly Diana Tarazi. So it, I'm sure that the crowd, it just seems like I'm sure the crowd at that game is going to be terrific. And it just seems like there's been a lot of energy uh, on social media for the for the OC women to play this uh, this super big time exhibition game. I mean, Team USA doesn't really get any bigger than that, right? The 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 OSU women, uh, they will open the season for real on Saturday at 6 p.m. at home against UC Irvine. Uh, we'll talk um, a lot more women's basketball on the show after football season because it, it does appear it's going to be setting up for another big, big year for Scott Rook's group. That will do it uh, for this week's episode of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Thanks again to Brandon Slaughter for joining me, and we will be back uh, next week with another episode. Take care, everyone.